Hey, y'all. It's Evan here. We'll get back to our regular scheduled programming next week, but I'm sharing something a little special with you today. In working on this show, people often ask me, who's the most memorable character you've interviewed? That's honestly a question I can't answer, because given the extraordinary people this project has introduced me to, it hardly seems fair to single anyone out. That said, there are some folks you just end up forging a natural connection with, and Bobby Earl Smith is easily one of them. You might remember him from our very first episode on the Dry Creek Cafe, and if you're new here, recommend going back and starting at the beginning for some context. One of the elder statesmen of Austin's music scene, Bobby Earl is perhaps best known as a founding member of Frida and the Fire Dogs, a band that was instrumental in cementing this town's identity in the 70s as the kind of place where it was cool for the counterculture kids to embrace country. But while popular in their heyday, if you haven't heard of them, it's not because they never recorded. It's because their recordings weren't released for 30 years, at which point the band had long since moved on. Considering this, it brings me great joy to report that their much-delayed debut album was reissued on vinyl last month, and in celebration of this occasion, felt moved to revisit the conversation I had with Bobby Earle and let you hear the story of their formation through a few clips that ended up on the cutting room floor. Regardless of whether you're new to Frida and the Fire Dogs or are maybe old enough to remember them from back in the day, the songs and tales you'll hear provide a snapshot of a time and place when Austin was coming into its own. I'm Evan Stern. And this is a special bonus edition of Vanishing Postcards. Before we get started, I will confess to being something of a true crime junkie and could talk endlessly about the podcast Gone Cold for this reason. Instead, I'm going to let its host and creator, Vincent Strange, tell you about it himself. Vincent? Texas has a reputation for being tough on crime, but beneath the surface, buried in the darkness that only those affected by tragedy know, is the reality of a flawed and insufficient justice system. More than 60% of violent crimes in Texas go unsolved, and many are at the hands of offenders who should have never had the opportunity, madmen who slipped through the cracks. On Gone Cold Podcast, Texas True Crime, you'll find in-depth accounts of unsolved homicides, missing persons cases, and other mysteries throughout Texas. From the historic and perplexing case of the 1948 disappearance of a Denton co-ed, Virginia Carpenter, to the unthinkable, the Orange, Texas abduction and murder of four-year-old Denaria Finley in 2002. You can find and subscribe to Gone Cold, Texas True Crime, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks, Vincent. Now, let's get on with the show. Jesus was homeless. Jesus was a bum. Jesus was a drifter, preaching kingdom come. Baptized in the river by crazy cousin John. Jesus was homeless. I grew up in San Angelo, Texas. It's about 200 miles north and a little bit west of here. It's right at the edge of the Chihuahuan Desert. There are three rivers that converge in San Angelo. Uh, the North Concho River, the Middle Concho, and the South Concho. And that's where I grew up. 
When reflecting on his youth in West Texas, Bobby Earl Smith says it was pretty much a blur of Sunday school, services, Wednesday Bible study, evening prayers, and the occasional tent meeting. But while the Harrison Irving Street Church of Christ preached baptism by total immersion, he and his buddies preferred immersing themselves in music. Jerry and I and another uh, boy from church, uh, Kingston Trio was really big then. I loved the Kingston Trio. I love rock and roll. I love the Kingston Trio. I've always liked a whole lot of different kinds of music. But we learned a bunch of Kingston Trio songs, and that was my entree into folk music. And we'd sing it. My dad would have his buddies over to play uh, dominoes or 42, and we'd, he'd, his buddies would call us in and say, you know, come, y'all come sing, come in and sing for us. And we we played different, you know, events. So we we had us a little four-piece band with two guitars, a, a vocalist, and uh, drums. I uh, graduated from San Angelo Central High School. And um, then I went to college at um, Abilene Christian College. And when it was still a college, and before they anointed themselves a university, the strictness of uh, Abilene Christian, I was was either on disciplinary probation or academic probation all, all but, I think, two semesters there. Uh, in my four years, because I was, I was going to sneak out and I was going to drink. He, he couldn't drink openly, but I was going to have my fun. I was playing music. We played a dance in Fredericksburg uh, while I was at Abilene Christian, and the principal of the high school. Uh, we were playing the Nimitz Hotel in downtown Fredericksburg, and the principal of the uh, public school there, the high school, was a graduate of Abilene Christian, and he called the administration in Abilene when he found out that the band was playing for their prom was from Abilene Christian, and we almost got kicked out of school. Uh, My dad had had a heart attack a year or so before, and I basically told him, I said, you know, if you kick me out of school, you're liable to give my dad another heart attack, and that's gonna be on your conscience. Though Abilene Christian carried its share of frustrations, it was there he met his wife, Judy, whom he still calls Sugar 56 years later. Like many, continuing studies brought them to Austin, and being what you might call backsliders, they found themselves fitting right in. Maybe it's Barton Springs, who knows what it is, but it, uh, it always had that, uh, a tolerance for tolerance. Bobby Earl made it through law school, but admittedly spent more time playing his guitar than hitting the books at the library. By the time graduation rolled around, he was gigging so much, he put his license on hold for another 14 years. And while this lifestyle didn't exactly pay an attorney's salary, its rewards could be rich. Like the wild night he met a future legend named Marsha Ball. I had been playing with a band called Dub and the Dusters, and we had played this the uh, one night, uh, O-N-E-K-N-I-T-E. It was a small, dark uh, bar. Uh, it was painted all black on the inside. The door was, an, they took an upended casket and you walk and knock the bottom out and you walk through, you know, a casket-shaped door 
into this, they, and they used flat black on the walls and painted the entire place black. It was dark as hell in there. They had all sorts of objects hanging from the ceiling. Everything from waffle irons to, you know, toy, uh, children's toy horns to children's drum. It, whatever you can imagine was hanging from the ceiling. I don't know why, but there you have it. <coughs> and so Dubbin' the Dusters was playing one night. The drummer was uh, Freddie Fletcher, who is uh, Bobby Nelson's son. Bobby Nelson is Willie Nelson's sister. Uh, Freddie was still in high school. He was playing drums for Dubbin' the Dusters, and back then, it was before two o'clock closing, and back then, the bands started strictly at nine o'clock. We would play 45 minutes, take a strict 15-minute break, come back, um, play another 45-minute set, take a 15-minute break, and then the final set would be an hour, and we would end at 12 o'clock. This is Monday through Friday. But back then, if you, you were scheduled to play at 9, and you, by God, better start at 9, because there were a bunch of bands waiting to take your place. If you took a 20-minute break instead of a 15-minute break, I mean, it was, it was a... The owners ran tight ships. And actually, looking back, that made for some pretty good sets. You planned out your sets, you got on, you got off, you didn't take a lot of time between songs. It was, it was good for business, in my opinion. Dove and the Dusters, we, we played a set, we took a break, and 15 minutes rolls by. The band's ready to pl start playing, but Freddie Fletcher's not there. And I started looking around, and it's a, it was a small club. He wasn't in the club. I'm going, what the heck, where's Freddie? And about that time, Roger One Night, Roger Collins, uh, one of the owners of One Night comes up, and he says, y'all are running over your break, what's going on? And I said, I'm waiting on Freddie. I'm sure he's, <laughs> maybe he's in the bathroom. I'm sure he's gonna be here. Couple more minutes roll by, no Freddie. Roger is on my ass. He said, Bobby Earl, you need to get started. And I said, Roger, we need a drummer. About that time, Freddie comes in. And I said, Freddie, where the hell have you been? I said, we're late, Roger's on my butt. He said, oh man. He said, I met this long-legged chick. We went out to her van. She's from Louisiana, she's a Cajun. We smoked some of the best dope. I said, Freddie, great butt. We're about to get fired. So we, we got up on the stage and we started playing and we're rolling along. Freddie said, hey, let's get that chick up. She's a singer, she plays in a band. Well, I had, I had a rule about no sit-ins, no sit-ins, no exceptions, because I had learned over the years by experience that only two things basically can happen when you have a sit-in. They'll be so bad, they'll stink up the, the place so bad that you lose your crowd, and it's hard to ever get them back once you lose them. Or they'll be so good, they'll show us up. <laughs> What's the use in that? So. Just no sit-ins. I said, Freddie, we've been over this. 
we don't do sit-ins. He said, oh, come on, man. She's got some great dope. He said, she's, she sings in a band. He said, come on. And I don't know what it was, but I relented. I said, okay. I said, what's her name? He said, Marsha. So I called her up. She tentatively comes up, and it's a long-legged woman in blue jeans, long hair, and she comes up, and I hand her the mic, and I said, what do you want to do? And she said, well, do y'all do, do y'all know me and Bobby McGee? Well, we did because it was in our set list. We start playing. It comes time for her to start singing. She started singing me and Bobby McGee, and when I got home that night, I told Judy, I said, I found the girl singer I've been looking for. Now I realize girl singer in 2020 is probably not the way to describe it, but I'm pretty sure that's probably what I said back then. So Dub and the Dusters broke up, I think, within a few days of that. Not because of Marsha, uh, because I was being an asshole. It's the main reason the rest of the band got tired of it. <coughs> and so I told Marsha, I said, I got all these gigs booked. I said, why don't we play, why don't we, you want to try playing together? And she said, well, I'm from Louisiana, and I don't know any country. And she said, I heard what you do, and you do about half of your songs are probably country the rest were rock and roll and blues and just a, a, a mixed bag and I said don't worry about it I, I said uh, you just do what you do and, I, and uh, I can teach you the country song practice for a week. I was trying to think of a band name, and I had written all these names down. Well, when I was a kid in San Angelo, and this is going to sound as stupid as I guess it is, um, we called Dalmatians fire dogs. I did not know what a Dalmatian, that a Dalmatian was a fire dog. I'd always liked that name. So one of the names I had written down, and I don't remember the other names I had written down, was Fire Dogs. And so I started reading off this list and Freddie Fletcher said, that's it, Fire Dogs. And I said, okay, what goes with Fire Dogs? And Freddie said, Frida. So that's where Frida and the Fire Dogs came from. Later on, people would come up and they'd say, which one of you is Frida? Well, everybody assumed it was Marsha because Frida's a woman's name. And we would do this stupid routine, this uh, Abbott and Costello routine where we'd be go, I don't know, I'm not Frida, are you? And Marshall would be doing it with us, you know, us four guys. 
And it was, I realized how off-putting and how ill at ease it must have made some people for us to be going, I don't know, I'm not Frida, are you Frida? You know, it was just a dumb, a dumb stoned hippie joke. <laughs> Bobby and Marsha were joined by John Reed on guitar, Steve McDaniels on drums, and David Cook on steel and rhythm guitars. The band caught on quick. They played to packed crowds at the Split Rail and Armadillo, and when writing of them in 1972, the Austin American statesman gushed, it would be hard to overpraise Frida and the Fire Dogs. This is a great bunch of youngsters, both personally and musically. Their brand of country music is pure listening pleasure. But while they all seem to be in the right place at the right time, this pace proved hard to keep up with. 72, we recorded a record uh, on spec. The producer was Jerry Wexter, who had produced Ray Charles and Aretha Franklin and um, for Atlantic Records. He was a, one of the principals of, uh, of Atlantic Records. Jerry Wexter had, he was establishing an Austin music uh, division of the label. I mean, uh, he loved the Austin scene. He recorded Doug Somm, he recorded Willie Nelson. Freedom and the Fire Dogs was gonna be uh, one of the very first releases, but he and the partners at Atlantic were on their way to splitting up, and so we hesitated so long to sign the contract. The, f the myth is we never signed the contract. We did, we just hesitated so long that Willie, that uh, Jerry Wexer was, uh, and the partners were about to split up by the time we signed it, so. Atlantic never executed the agreement and never released the record. Jerry Wexler gave it gave me the master tape 30 years later and I put it out. Uh, we were just long-haired, hippie, goofy-ass people that uh, didn't have sense enough to, to know a good deal when we saw it. After this, the band ran its course within two years and went out with a bang at Willie Nelson's 1974 picnic. Who's to say what could have been had their Atlantic recordings avoided the vault? It certainly didn't hold Marsha Ball back, as she went on to record more than a dozen albums and blaze an award-winning trail as one of our great rhythm and blues singer-pianists. And Bobby Earl doesn't seem to hold a trace of bitterness. He and Judy raised two fine sons without having to deal with the stresses of touring and the road. And while many today have taken to bemoaning Austin's explosive growth, Bobby Earl insists the magic that made this town special can still be found. And what do you still love about Austin? Every damn thing, except for the traffic. The main difference that we notice is the traffic. Everybody says, well, the town has changed, it's not the same. Well, to me, it's pretty much the same. It feels the same. Um, it's always been uh, a town that welcomed diversity and a lot of arts, a lot of writers, a lot of musicians, a lot of artists of all, all kinds. I know a few old codgers who'd probably scoff at this attitude, but think I know why Bobby Earl feels this way. He's never stopped playing and remains as immersed in music as he was when he first moved to town. Music has the power to transport us, and I think it's worth noting that while we may no longer be able to catch a set at the one night, we still have old records. And listening to Frida and the Fire Dogs while sipping on a cold Lone Star can get us pretty close. Now I'm right back where I've been always been. I got over you just 
This episode entirely belongs to Bobby Earl Smith, who's a man I'm honored to know. If you're interested in purchasing Frida and the Fire Dogs album on vinyl, you can order a copy at FridaFireDogs.com or AntonesRecordShop.com. You can also learn more about Bobby Earl by visiting BobbyEarlSmithMusic.com. We'll be on the road again with a new episode next week, but if you're curious to hear a few behind-the-scenes stories about my creative process, recommend checking out the recent conversations I had with Gail Holnick on her show The Brainwave Podcast and Real Talk with Mason Webb. Speaking of interviews, I also want to take a second to recommend the podcast Fascination Street, which is hosted by Steve Owens. He engages with all sorts of remarkable characters, and his chats with Kinky Friedman are priceless. I thank you as always for listening. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard and haven't already, please subscribe. It helps us grow and guarantees you will never miss an episode. And of course, if you know someone in your life who might enjoy what we're up to, it would mean a great deal if you could take a second to text them and share this episode. For photos and more info, please find us on Instagram or visit vanishingpostcards.com, where we'd love to hear from you if you have any stories you care to share or know of any places we should consider visiting. I'm Evan Stern, and hope you'll join us next time for more Vanishing Postcards. Just long.